I've heard it said that visibility is one of the greatest influences in empowering people to pursue their dreams and inspiring them to set goals that would otherwise seem unattainable. Throughout my life, I've seen this to be true time and time again. That's why a few years ago, I quit my job working at a fast-paced, venture-backed technology startup to travel the world telling the stories of a new generation of innovators, makers, creators, and leaders who are taking risks, forging their own paths to success, and shaking up the marketplace in return. Millennovation isn't about highlighting the exceptional stories of a few individuals. It's about empowering you to forge a new future path. It's about learning from the experiences, the successes, and the failures of our peers. And most of all, it's a place to think through the unconventional strategies that will help all of us get where we're going a little bit faster. It all starts here on the Millennial Innovators Podcast. Hey guys, it's Kat. Last time we were on the show, we sat down with Wes Curtis, an unforgettable human in my book, and he gave us a lot of insight on what it is to know yourself and to find your value in something beyond what others say about you, whether in your career or your life. You know, for Wes, that looks like when he's in an audition in front of producers, not taking his value from what they say about him, but actually fulfilling it somewhere else in himself, which is a really great lesson. In season one, I had Tyler Reaver from Charity Water on the show, and I remember him saying about the interview process. Every time you go into an interview, you're evaluating that company as much as they're evaluating you. And he's like, if you don't see the value you bring to the table, people are going to be bullying you your whole life in your career. So what's the point? That just really struck me. Then when talking to Wes last time, it came up again. And that's a huge lesson to take away is realizing you do have value. And maybe it looks different than what everybody else thinks it should look like, but it doesn't mean it's not value. And your job is actually to show them how what they want and what you have are two different things. And what you have actually is the better combination, is the better offer, is the better opportunity. So this time we're back to underdogs. We're talking to my friend Alan. Alan is Australian. He's one of the first people I met shortly after moving to the city, and he's hilarious. He's also super driven and a marketing mind just like me. But he's recently come into an interesting situation in his job, made all that more complicated by the fact that he's not a citizen here. So today we're sitting down with Alan and we're talking about what happens when something in your life changes and how to look at those unexpected career disruptions actually as a positive. Alan has one of the most positive dispositions of anyone I've ever met in my life. Dude just got fired from his job, no offense, Alan, and he's using it to take the next step in his career. It all starts now on the Millennial Innovators Podcast, Season 2, Underdogs and Unforgettables. Let's get at it in three, two, one. Yeah, I'm Alan Storman. I work in marketing, content, and hopefully soon to be brand strategy. I moved from uh, I moved from Australia to New York two and a half years ago, very much on a whim, and have been loving it in New York ever since. I'm always looking for the next uh, the next challenge, and always looking for the next thing to keep me going, whether that's in professional side of things or also in my own personal life. Like I'll, I've been obsessed with playing guitar as of the last eighteen months. <laughs> And just spend all my time trying to learn jazz guitar and blues guitar. Which is awesome. Yeah. I mean, I enjoy it. It's incredibly frustrating. And there's always a million people better than you. But um, it's a lot of fun. Why is it frustrating? Because I always want to be... As soon as I pick something up, 
I always want to be the best immediately and I'm really impatient. And then I'm only recently starting to learn, you know, give myself a break and you're like, hey, Alan, you don't have to be, one, you don't have to be the best. You just have to enjoy it. And two, everything takes time. Mm, Yeah. yeah. Impatience. Yeah, you're doing all the YouTube videos and stuff, right? I was. I see. This is the, this is the other thing, right? I start something and then I don't finish it, and then it's so hard to keep it going. That's the other thing I'm learning. So now I'm like, I'll start something and I'm like, I know for this to work well, I just need to stick at it. You know, it's like doing a podcast, right? You can't do six episodes and be like, oh, well, that didn't go well. So you need to do three hundred episodes, like James Altucher and stuff, you know, right. to to really measure its success. So I was doing YouTube videos for a bit. These weird. That was a. That was like, it was called Meats and Beats. And Meats that was, and Beats? Yeah. That was, a, that was a special thing. I actually don't know what the premise of. I think I got drunk one night and started um, talking to my girlfriend about how I was going to cook this meal. And then she started filming it. And then we decided that that was, oh, it was a Thanksgiving dinner. I was working on a Thanksgiving dinner and I was really drunk. And I started talking like I was on a cooking show. And she started recording it. And then that turned into Meats and Beats. Typical. Yeah. I think I remember that first video. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. Uh, so Meats and Beats is, it died. It died. Although it's, you know, a lot of people are asking for it back. And I say a lot of people, <laughs> two of my friends. Yeah, your mom. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> when I moved to New York two years ago, I came from, my background in Australia was I graduated from uh, university studying marketing and journalism. And then I was working in radio, in a big radio media company called Southern Cross Austereo. Mm-hmm. So that was a big FM radio network and local TV network as well. So I was working on in breakfast radio, doing a lot of producing, doing a lot of... I was the kind of the guy, the kid out in the street on the phone, doing live crosses, you know, like, yeah. hey, we're out here and we're handing out chocolate milk, come on down, <laughs> doing all that sort of stuff. Um, and then I moved down to Sydney. I did that for three years, um, graduated, moved down to Sydney in Australia, started working at a PR company and pitching to journalists um, all these sorts of different products like lawnmowers and pocket knives and anything else that was meant to be blokey. Um, that was the that was the, the niche that the, the, the PR firm was going after. And then after two years of that, I was like, I need to change something. So I was looking for a new job and then I... Uh, I was, I was looking for a new job. I was kind of ready for a change. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then one night, it was the... It was the night before Easter long weekend and my brother was going to come down and visit me in Sydney and he's, he, um, he was coming down. So I said, well, I better, I better fill the fridge up with like a case of beer, you know, a carton of beer. So I can't have him coming. We've got a dry fridge. So he's on his way down. So I'm like, I'll go up to the pub and I'll pick up, I'll pick up a case. And so I'm walking up to the, up to the pub and I walk past my friend's house and his doors open and I go in there and there's boxes everywhere. And I just have a quick chat to him and he's like, you know, I'm like, what's, what's, what's going on with all these boxes? And he's like, well, I'm moving to New York and just bought a place there with my wife. She's American. I was like, oh, of course. <laughs> so, so he's like, yeah, so we're going to be moving in about, you know, a month. And I'm like, oh, that's great. And he's like, we wanted to, we wanted to ask you something we need to talk to. He's like, there's a spare bedroom in, like, in the duplex that we've got underneath our apartment. Do you want to come over to America? And I was like... I was like, all right, uh, let me think about it. Sounds kind of cool. And then I walked up to the pub, got a case of beer, walked back and was just like, I'm going to do it. So I I knocked on his door, told him I'd take his offer. And then three months later, I left and went to New York and was, and that during that time, I was like, well, what am I going to do in New York? I had no plan. And I thought I've heard about this startup scene. So I was like, I'll see if I can get into the startups. 
landed in New York, didn't know anybody, and just hit like the ground running and just meeting people. That's how we met. Yeah. And um, like your second day or something. Yeah, yeah. Probably the second day on that on the rooftop. Yeah. And then. Yeah, about a week or two later, came across this this guy that was starting up a company or had started up two months ago, a South African guy, and they were hiring for this content position. And I was like, look, my background is journalism, marketing, I can write, you know, I've got, you know, PR. And he's like, all right, start a trial. You've got no experience in tech, but we'll see how you go. Sink or swim. And I swam, I suppose. Yeah, I did. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty wild. But was, like, your family, your friends, were they like, uh, what? America? Like, Well, yeah, everyone was like, what are you going to do? And I was so naive. I just said, I don't know. Like, I'll just, I'll, I'll hit everyone up for coffee. Everyone will just meet me. For, I'll just meet people for coffee and I'll find people I don't want to meet with. And people were like, all right. Um, and that's what I did. And it was, I was so naive to the, how big the move was that that kind of got me through it. Yeah. Like, if I knew how tough it was now... Maybe I would like if I overthought it. If people think about it too much, they tend not to do things. So if you don't think about it, that's my philosophy anyway. If, if I went back now and I had to think about everything that I had to go through and like the pressure of getting a job within three months because that's the only time you're allowed in the states if you if you go the way I did it, I wouldn't have done it. So I was just like, yeah, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how I do most things. Yeah, I feel like we met that first time, and then. The next time I saw you, like a week or two later, you like had a job. Yeah. I mean, it happened was, fairly quickly. It was really quick. It was three weeks. So it was it was uh, something like three weeks that I'd, I'd gone from nothing to something. And that was surprising. I think I got a mix of lucky luck and just putting myself in the right position. Yeah. Right place. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I remember particularly like being just kind of like, whoa, he made that happen really fast. Like, yeah. I mean, that was a wild ride too. Then, because then it was like, okay, so I just joined the startup that was ten people, and didn't really know how like the whole because the working cultures in Australia and America are very different. That's the thing I learned really quickly. How so? Well, I mean, I think Americans work are more they have a they have a different relationship with work, and they they it, more of their life revolves around work for at least the majority of people, not for everybody, but. But then I also found out the, the strange way about summer Friday. So this was in summer. Yeah. And on, I'd rock up in, on a Friday morning at like quarter to nine because you know, I'd always be at work back home at nine o'clock there was, or by 8.30. There was none of this like between nine and 10 or nine and 10.30. <laughs> and I'd rock up on Friday at like quarter to nine and there'd be no one there. And I'm like, oh, it must be just a bit early for a Friday. And then by lunchtime, there'd be still no one there. It'd be me and one other guy. And I'm like, what's going on? And like, oh, well, everyone's at the Hamptons for the weekend or everyone's going to the beach. It's summer Fridays. I'm like, Jesus, we've got some work to do. Like, what's going on? Yeah. And you're like, how are we going to build this company? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, but that was one thing I figured out. I think that was only for like the two months. And then it was like working till 1 a.m. for a lot of nights, 10 p.m. And like just nonstop. Yeah. Work, sleep, work, sleep. I remember when I was like younger, like right out of college and probably even a little bit when I moved to the city, I like craved that. Like, that's all I wanted to do yeah. was, like, eat, sleep, work. It's know? kind of electrifying, I think. I found it for a while. Like, I was kind of... I loved it, too, for a while. And then... Yeah, and then you kind of just get to this point where you're like, I, there's other things I want to do. Like, yeah. I want to play guitar and there's... I want to spend time with people. And, right. Know. And, like, have a life. Exactly. Yeah. I think I've hit that point. Maybe it's maturity. I think so. <laughs> I think so. So, it's interesting because now you're kind of, like, in another transition. Mm-hmm. 
And specifically, your transition is being made a little more urgent because the fact that you're from Australia mm -hmm. in the U.S. So can you just like explain? Yeah. yeah. Well, then the best place to start is is to explain, you know, the work visa situation. So Australians have a great opportunity to come over into America and, and work on this thing called the E3 visa, which is very easy and inexpensive. Well, not easy to get. You The, the challenge is you need to get a job offer from somebody, so you need to convince someone you've got the experience, and that's fine. But then the administrative work is very straightforward, and it's you know you can, you can rush it through pretty quickly and pretty inexpensively compared to, say, the H1B. The problem with that is, though, once you get that job, you can't do anything except work. You can't earn. You can only earn money on for that employer that you're registered with, um, which is fair enough. But there's no freelancing. There's no uh, work, working two jobs or anything like that. So it's all. So and then when that visa finishes, if you get say laid off or you you decide to quit, you've got sixty day grace period to either find another job or get out of the country. And then you'll if you don't do that within that sixty days you're in violation of your status and then you're in big trouble with, with Mr. S Uncle Sam. Was that yeah. what you guys call him? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> that's what we call him. So, so that's what happened to me. So three weeks ago now, I believe I was laid off in just, you know, normal startup circumstances. Um, the marketing team was, was reduced. And so I've got essentially 60 days now to find a new job. And so I'm trying I'm using it as an opportunity to, to do something that I really enjoy um, and find something that I really really want to do and, and can teach me some skills that I really want to learn. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is because, again, this whole season is about underdogs and unforgettables. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because a lot of the, the underdogs that we're having on the show this season, mm -hmm. we're kind of following them through this journey from like point A to point B. They're like pretty doubtful. Mm -hmm. And that is their main problem. But you, which no surprise, just knowing you are extremely positive. So that's why I wanted to have you on the show mm -hmm. and because you're a joy to talk to. But I don't know, I just think it's a cool perspective to have. So it's interesting because I'm like reading my episode outline, right? And I'm like, this is going to go a little differently, right? Because you're not, um, you're not saying, you don't have the same kind of like self-defeatist well, attitude. I mean, this, and this is the thing about that. Like I, for the whole time, you know, so I, I, joined, I joined a startup and we went through a few rounds of layoffs. So pretty quickly I learned that if you if you want to join a startup and you want to work in a startup environment, enjoy everything that is involved with the startup, you need to get used to the other side, which is uncertainty. So so being on the E3 visa, I was like, well, I need to become accustomed to the fact that if I lose my job, I'm going to have to get my act together and figure something out. And it could, you know, I've got to figure out what the worst case scenario is. And of course, the worst case scenario is I have to leave the country and then, I, you know, it costs a lot of money to... to when you're not getting paid, everything costs a lot of money, so to come back. So, so I was dealing with that, and then, and then the last, I mean, dealing with that for two years, you know, had that in the back of my mind, um, was always working hard to make sure I didn't lose my job, and then, you know, then it actually happened. And so, but before that, that week before, I, I knew it was coming. Like, you always sense when changes are happening in an organization. And so I started thinking, okay, what's going to happen here if I lose my job? And I just thought about, Everything I go to the worst case scenario and you think, well, okay, I've lose my job this week. What's going to happen? And if you approach it from that thing, from that perspective, you think, okay, the worst case scenario is I lose my job. I don't find another job. I have to move back to Australia and then I'm back in Australia. And it's like, well, you know, as a worst case scenario, if you're sitting back in Australia, in Sydney, 
you know, back with old friends, the sun's shining, the summer's kicking, you're going to the beach. It's not that bad of a scenario. It's like, okay, that's the worst case. Like, let's get real. We're not in, like, a war here. We're not, you're not, we're not in danger. Right. And then you move your, like, you come back from that. So, so I was like, okay, so if I lose my job this week, what do I need to do? Well, then I need to make sure everything's in, in, in order so that I know exactly what I want to go for in my next role and my resume, my LinkedIn, my networks there. And so, that, and then, so then when it happened, like, it was funny when I got tapped on the shoulder and taken into the room to be given the talk, they kind of, you know, they, it's a tough thing to do. So they're, they're sitting there going, oh, you know, Alan, this is uh, really tough. And I just stopped them. And I was like, guys, I know what's going to happen. Just tell me, like, let's just do this. Come on. Man. And so like, we shook hands and then said, okay, this is it. I'm like, cool. Let's, you know, we're very, very pragmatic about how we approach it. Just like, okay, what, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen here? And I walked out of there going, all right, well, that, that just happened. Let's, let's go figure this out. And so then I just approached it as it's a problem that needs to be solved. So what's the problem? I don't have a job. I need a job to get a visa. So I've got to go find a job. And that's kind of how I've approached it because there's no other, there's no other way for me to approach it. Like if I sit there and I sit there with self-pity and go, oh my God, I just lost my job. Well, then that 60 days is going to be up pretty quickly and I'm going to be booking my flight home or calling my parents, asking them to pay for a flight home, which right. I don't want to do. Right. <laughs> because I'm living in New York City and I'm broke. Right. Like, uh... Yeah. Side note, is that why your family came to visit? Were they like, well, just in case you come back, should we come No, they now? didn't know. This is the thing. They didn't even they know. They didn't know. So my parents had been going, had been in Ireland for 10 days before. And when I got laid off, I was like, oh, mom is going to worry. She, you know, she's, she's just, she's a mom. She's going to worry. So I was like, I'm not going to tell her until they get here. Because if, if I tell them over the phone or over messaging, they won't be able to see my face. Because when I tell people I got laid off, their first thing is like, oh. and I'm like, guys, it's fine. I'm like, don't worry about it. I'm okay. Like, yeah. Everything's okay. <laughs> so when they first got here, we went out and grabbed a beer and I was like, I've got some news. And mom's like, yes. Like, and I'm like, I got laid off. And like, oh. and I'm like, relax like everything's going to be okay there are problems and there are problems this is just this is just something we need to overcome like it's not a big deal so no so then and then that gave me an opportunity to enjoy the time that we're here anyway so yeah it was perfect it kind of works out perfectly yeah there are problems and then there are problems i love your perspective on yeah. this well first off it's not like you just got axed right it was yeah. pretty much your whole department yeah or like function and the fact that like in startups right now Marketing is like being transformed. It's a sales function. Mm, yeah. um, you know, it's all about ad sales. Definitely. Which like, I think for more strategic thinkers for you and I, it's like, I don't want to sit there and be pushing a button on Facebook to recycle an ad campaign mm -hmm. every day. Like I want to be figuring out what's the new way to reach yeah. the person we need to Absolutely. reach. Right. So the other cool thing about this is that there are problems and then there are problems and you could see this as like, Oh, this sucks. But you're also using it as an opportunity to move in the direction of something that you really want yeah. to do more. Of. Yeah. I mean, like you don't really need, I, I wrote an article about this after this, um, after I got laid off because it was, I, it was, it was about like approaching problems with perspective because like if you ever need uh, a source of inspiration of, of like a place to measure your problem against a problem, like a real problem, like there's, you, you've got no shortage of, of measuring sticks. You know, there's stuff happening in Syria, there's famine, there's hot, like homeless, even just, you know, in the, in the city, there's homeless people everywhere. Like those are problems. There's a huge, 
huge big problems you know there's you know people with really bad illnesses and you know like, so there's so many things you could get caught up with that are actually problems and then you just think oh my god like i lost my well-paying job at a tech startup it's like that's not a freaking problem man like that's just something that just happens and you just need to deal with it and get to the next one um and then yeah and then i wanted to use that as like all right well i was kind of getting you know itchy feet in that role two and a half years and they're you know, I was working in a content role, so I was writing about the same thing over and over again. So I would have liked to have found a new job anyway. Let's use this as a platform to get into the next, you know, stage of my career. And I'm fascinated by how brands go to market and how to, yeah, how to reach new, new audiences. And so I really want to get into that brand strategy space. So I've been hitting everybody up that I know on the strategy side. I've been researching and doing my own, like, brand strategy exercises anything to like flex a new muscle is um is what i've been doing and, and it's just i've had that opportunity to do that because i've had the time because i haven't had to spend nine ten hours at an office all day doing my job so i'm using all that time that i've got to meet new people and flex a new muscle yeah most people after like being in a job for two and a half years right they would be like you know i hate redoing my resume anytime you're going after a job you've got to like tailor it you've got to shape it up you've got to like you know make it better yeah there's all the like administrative standard things Mm -hmm. you have to do you have a very positive perspective but have there been any challenges that you didn't expect well everyone says you know just applying for jobs online will get you nowhere you've got to get out there that's, so that's obviously a job, um, uh, something to overcome. But I think the thing is, the main challenge is some skills transfer on paper, other skills don't. Like I've seen people, like the interns and juniors come through and, and resumes have ended up on my desk and I'm like, whoa, this person's, like on paper, this person's way better than me. Like how does, how does this person do this, right? And, and then you meet with them and you think, oh, okay, like they just presented really well. And so one of the challenges is putting down what I think is my core strengths. Like I believe I can do anything. Like I, I believe I can go into a brand strategy role now in a senior position just because of my intuition and my sense of empathy and be able to connect with what people want and what audiences want. But it's very hard to put that on a resume. So overcoming that is... I, the way I've gone around that is to show people how I think. So that's where I've been doing these these strategy and brand strategy exercises that I, I found through this this strategist that wrote an article on Medium that sent out she sends out some briefs for people to do in their own time. So I found those things. So I, instead of like writing a cover letter, I'll write I'll write my resume that's that's loaded with a bunch of keywords and definitely skewed towards my strategic um, my strategic. Um, I suppose you would say, and then I'll sh- I'll show I'll say this instead of a full blown cover letter. This is my this is a, a brand strategy teardown that I'm calling them, or a customer journey map that I've mapped out for this brand and opportunities and a proposal for the head of brand for say Harley Davidson, which is what I just did. So my hope and look, I've, I've been submitting it this week and I'm yet to hear. I've only submitted to two things, but I haven't haven't heard too much back. But my hope is that that shows, at least shows how I'm thinking instead of like writing a cover letter that, that says, you know, oh, I'm, I'm very empathetic or I always take an audience focused approach. And instead of telling you, I'm trying to show you what I'm doing. Um, and we'll see. It, it may work. It may not work. But I'm going to keep doing it until I get the, the role that I want. Um, That's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. That is freaking brilliant. Well, I think you need that. I've always done that. Like, so every job I've gotten, I've never really been qualified for it. Right. <laughs> and so you always have to prove yourself. And this is what like, I work with some, um, my old intern that she, she used to work with me. 
And I was helping her find a new gig after she graduated. And, you know, she was going for these really big roles or like big internships for big brands at, you know, Adidas and Nike and these big things. And I'm like, you've got to understand that you're going to be one of a thousand, if not more. So you've got to stand out. So how are you going to stand out? And instead of just writing a cover letter that sounds really good, like, you know, I don't know, put together a video that shows you doing something or like just... It, you might pour your heart into that thing and it might take you a day and a half to do it and it might not work but it's a hell of a lot better than doing a half-assed attempt sending in some shitty cover letter that everyone else has done yeah that um, nobody wants to read after they've exactly. read, five, read 500 exactly know? so actually how I got my it was funny how I got my first job my first career job in, in public relations was I was applying from Brisbane like a, I was in Brisbane I was applying for this role in Sydney and it was for a junior publicist position position in a PR company it was focused on and their, their niche was male focused like men's products and things like that and so I um I was like I was thinking I need to I need to cut through the clutter like I just assumed there's going to be again 500 resumes coming through so I need mine to stand out so I I went to this uh, shopping mall that was like 30 minutes away because I found this unique soap shop Online, I was like, I drove all the way out there, 30 minutes all the way out there, and I got this bar of soap that was like this gritty man soap. It was called man soap. And I put that in a box with my resume, with my resume, and I put a post-it note on it on that bar of soap. And I said, you guys don't know me from a bar of soap, so here's my resume and let's chat. And I posted that and I got a call like three days later once it had arrived and like, let's talk. That's brilliant. Yeah. Did you send it to I sent it to their... Um, Send it to the, the Adam, Adam, who was the, the CEO or the director of the company, the founder. Yeah. And so it was good. Brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah. I love that. I mean, that's like those kids, you know, you read about them in Ad Week or Bustle, or not Bustle, uh, BuzzFeed. Yeah. You know, like those people who are like, you know, my You're friend works at... donuts yeah, and things like that. Donuts, yeah, donuts, like put your resume on it. Or my friend works at VaynerMedia and... A couple months ago, she was telling me how the last person who got hired at Vayner created like a Snapchat geo filter, like brilliant. multiple, and just put it over the area where their new office is for like, I don't know, multiple days in a row. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's like the only thing that yeah. people could find and everybody's Snapchatting like this girl with like her resume and being like, hire me kind of thing. And of course, Gary sees it. Yeah. So, you know, she's and you, and you just need to get that. Like I, I've seen it go both ways. I've seen the commentary, people like, oh, it's all a gimmick and that's friend. I'm like, that's totally true. But it's like, if it gets your thing seen or if it gets people like us in the room, like if, like that's what I'm saying, if your experience doesn't translate well on a resume, you need to get seen. Like I know if I get in a room with somebody, I can... I put my best foot forward. Like right. I'm not saying it's going to be like a hundred percent hit rate and everyone's going to hire me, but at least then I've given it, I've given them the whole me instead of just what's on my resume. Like my resume is pretty freaking good. I've been working hard at it, but yeah. it's still, there's still things that don't really, you know, that won't add up. And I'm like, you, you meet with me and you'll see that things are going to be okay if you hire me. Yeah. Because yeah. it's that, it's like that can do spirit. Yeah. Right. I think, I mean, ask somebody who has, had to like interview and hire interns and like contractors and all sorts of things. The most valuable thing to me as a business owner is I need somebody who just is hungry to like learn and figure it out because not only do I not have time to like hold hands through yeah. everything, but also like if you don't care that much about this job, then you're not going to last very long. Exactly. Right. Because like you have to be willing to hit the pavement and figure it out until you find what yeah, works. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you want people that 
you like to work with as well. Right. That's the other thing. That's what I love about this too, because again, it's not like, you know, you went to college, like you've had good experience, like, you know, you have like mm. the whole package, but at the same time, you still have doubt, like you still feel underqualified, but you know what so many other people can't wrap their head around, which is the fact that qualifications are subjective, like mm. they're bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody just wants, essentially everybody just wants someone that can solve their problem. Right. And I, I look at it that, and that's how I approach interviews and any, any job application, I try to put myself in the mindset that I want to position myself as a person that's going to just solve their problem. They've got a problem. They need someone, a senior strategist, a content manager, an account manager. They need somebody to come in and fix the, the hole that they've got because they can't do it or they don't have enough people to do it. So I need to go in there and tell them that I can solve their problems. So they're like, Whew, thank Christ he's here. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. You're the savior. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I'm just curious, has uh, getting people on board for the visa thing, like employers, has that been challenging at all? Uh, no. Well, when it gets to that stage, it's very easy to, to help them overcome it. It's a problem in the sense that it can be a barrier to even getting in the door because if you click, there's a, like a lot of applications now have this little box that you tick. Do you require sponsorship now or in the future? And it's hard because I always want to click no because I just want to explain that it's like it's not a $10,000 H1B six-month process or whatever it is. It's very simple. It's inexpensive. But at the same time, I don't want to lie. If you have to lie at the start, and it's, it's, it's really yeah. tricky. So I... <laughs> You know, I've got a, I've got a feeling that all those ones where you click that you need sponsorship, they're probably just going to be filtered out. So it's, that's a real shame. But once you get to that point, you just got to explain to them that it's it's really nothing. And then you got to also then back the fact that hiring good people is really hard. So if the, if you're at that stage, you've got to know that you've got they're, they're in a position where they don't want to let you go because then they're going to have to go and interview more people and they have to go through really bad interviews again. You know. Right. Which so, is a pain point in itself. That's it. And that's the other thing to take into this whole process is like, you know, so often people get dejected when they're looking for a new gig or they're trying to find their next opportunity. And then you realize like, and then, and then they might get through. And I've, I've had this with a lot of Australians. Like they try to, they'll get through and they might get the E3 visa, but the process might be taking a bit longer. Like it might take four weeks instead of two. And so they're like, oh, I hope they don't hire someone else. And it's like, well, hold on. They were hiring for three or four months before they found you. They love you. You've got more bargaining power than you realize. Like again, you're solving their problem. If you don't adopt that point of view, then they're not gonna. What What would they want to go? Oh, this is taking a couple of weeks extra, or this is maybe costing a little bit more than we thought. Um, but oh, the alternative is to scrap this one that's already halfway through and it's going to start in another couple of weeks and then go back to the heap and go through all those shitty interviews that we've got to do again with people that are disinterested, that have, you know, that don't really resonate. So that's a, that's a massive cost to them. Yeah. So that's, that's the opportunity that I try to take to that. If we get to that point, I haven't really had, once I've done a one-on-one interview, um, there's been no problem with the visa. Right. Yeah. Right. Because you make them fall in love with you. Exactly. And I'm sure the Australian accent and all its charm helps yeah, too, right? Yeah, bang that up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it doesn't work as well, like, if I were to go, like, really southern, you know, like, <laughs> I don't think it would play out as well. But um, it's fine. Back to the qualifications thing. I love that also you're like, I have no legit items on my resume experience in brand strategy. But I can go walk in and I can succeed in a senior position. Yeah. Because so many people... I mean, I spend my weeks, whether it's people reaching out to me from the podcast or like 
just people that I know, meeting for coffee who just will see these jobs that they like online, but they're like, I'm totally underqualified. And also it says 10 years of experience. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, they're just coming up with a number. Like, yeah. It doesn't matter. Apply anyway. Yeah. Like, always apply. At least you make an impression, you make a connection. All and, then, and, and then that's when I think that's where you show your thinking, right? If you're, if you're underqualified on paper because you've got six years experience and they ask for 10, then you need to show that your thinking is at that 10, 10 year level. And that's what I've been trying to do. And like, you know, I, I think that that's the whole approach because yeah, there, there are certain things that I think definitely there are certain levels of experience that you just, you know, there's certain things that you gain over time, like an experience managing people or working with people or knowing how workplaces work so that, you know, a junior with two years experience is probably not going to be good at doing a, a job that requires eight years experience because that they haven't worked in the workforce long enough to know how trends work. But I go after those things because like I've, I've spoken to a lot of people, yourself included, about how brand strategy works and how people approach it. I'm always fascinated about how big and small brands are going to market and how they're, they're tackling the different issues. But I always approach things from and tend to always go from an audience perspective. And it's almost to a fault. Like when you're working in public relations and you're pitching a lawnmower that is meant to be, that you're meant to say is the most revolutionary, most amazing lawnmower. And I'm on the phone with a journalist and I'm like, look, I'm going to be honest. It's not like the greatest lawnmower, but I'd really appreciate a favor here. Yeah. But, but I'm always like, it's not that great when your boss is like, no, it's really, really good. You've got to be drumming it up. And it's the same thing when you're, you know, you're working brand side everyone's trying to be like, no, we're doing, we're doing all these big grandiose things with our product and our solution. Like this is what we're doing. We're completely changing the game. And you, and you're like, I'm sitting there going, well, let's be honest guys. Like if you know, you look at what the consumer thinks or what the business thinks, maybe it's not that important. Like, or it's not as important as we think. And I always think it's better to approach it from that side of the fence because it's more realistic. And then we can figure out some strategies around that that are actually going to work instead of operating in fairyland and fairy tale land where we just assume that everybody's obsessed with us and needs everything that we give them because so few brands have that. Yeah. You know? Which so often like being an entrepreneur who spends her life helping other entrepreneurs or entrepreneurial thinkers build their dreams. So often entrepreneurs are drunk on their own product. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like drunk on their own enthusiasm. And it's like, yeah, that's delusional. And you need, I mean, and it's tricky because you need that double, like it's a double-edged sword. You need, you need that unrivaled, relentless enthusiasm and to get think, through. Yeah. But you also need to think, I think, you need to approach it pragmatically in the sense that you need to think, how is this actually like, maybe it's not working. Maybe, maybe there are certain things that we think are great that that the consumer doesn't or the user doesn't. And that just comes down to user testing and coming off data and all that sort of stuff. And just being grounded in the sense, like let's not make assumptions here. Let's, let's um, test everything and figure out what's really happening and what's true. um, And then work from those truths. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Because that's the only way to get get through. Yeah. So back to the anchors. As we kind of close, wrap things up, mm-hmm. you know, you're taking a new spin on the soap idea, right? Yeah. You're basically turning your cover letter into a portfolio almost, right? Yeah. Or like, you know, a yeah. sample portfolio. And uh, showing them what you've got, how you think, what you can do. But what's next? Like, what are other steps you're taking? Or what are some of the first steps that you started taking when you... Well, I'm approaching this whole 60 day timeline i'm going for I'm, this is how i'm doing it i'm going for like three three different levels and one is like the moonshot stuff like 
stuff that I really want to get into. And we'll, even if I don't get into it, we'll probably keep working until I get into it. So that's the brand strategy stuff, strategic role, something very you know, high level, working with brands, hopefully multiple brands, um, and building building those brands that way. And then there's the, the middle of the rung stuff, which would be similar to what I've been doing uh, now or previously for the last two, two and a half years, which is content and content director roles. I mean, those are the startups are craving people that can produce content um, and content that drives results. And so that is like the, the next step down. And then there's the third level is just like, is, is basically like my, I just need to stay in the country sort of stuff. So I need to take any role um, and, you know, I'll be, go- I'll be good at it. So anything with communications in it, anything with content in it, at the manager level, anything like that, you know, even if it's a content producer, communications manager, anything like that. So I'm going after those things. So I'm this, I'm being realistic. So I'm just, and I'm hitting the ground and, and finding out a lot of different things. And it's funny because, you know, I'll go, I'll be really wanting to go for that top three, those, the, the, the moonshot roles. But then I interview with some people in like the lower levels and like some really great companies there. So I'm, I'm really enjoying doing that. And it's a really great process. And then we'll just see what, what pops up. Like I had, I got hit up by this meditation company the other day and I had a really great conversation and it was really interesting. And it's like, Hey, you never know where like things can take you as long as you keep an open mind. Um, but in terms of other anchors, I mean, I think I, I always say like, show how you think, get your pitch. I think you need to always figure out what it is you're good at. And I don't mean necessarily on like a tactical side or a skill side. I, I met with another young college grad like a week or two ago and she's, she's like, oh, I can't find anything. All my friends are in internships. And first of all, I was just like, you know, get the like get the frown off your face it's not the end of the world again I'm like yeah you'll be fine and then figure out like what your big you know your big pitch is and she she doesn't know what she wants to do which is I'm like totally understandable like you know I, I only know what I want to do because I've thought about it for the last couple of weeks you yeah. know the last couple of months like apart from that I've just kind of floated around but then she was interested in the UN and then so and then I find out like so I got her to write this pitch for me like if she was going to summarize herself in like a, a paragraph or something like a short thing and like just list out some things and she she knows three languages she grew up in Lebanon and was displayed and all this stuff that made her story like incredible like I'm really powerful I'm like that's your story that's your pitch like you should be using this to go in and you can match all those other skills people can teach you the skills of writing a press release or you know making phone calls or doing account management people can teach you that they can't teach you what you like the life experience that you bring to it and that uniqueness so if you're good with people or you're you're good at your self-start all that sort of stuff that you can and you can speak to and then have like examples of that's the stuff you need to be really putting out there and, and promoting I think and like getting that pitch like if you're going to go pitch if you're in PR and you pitch a product you figure out everything about that product that's amazing whether it's a feature or a benefit and then you pitch that to a journalist I approach the same thing with like when I'm pitching myself to a company like what are the skills that I bring and then what are the benefits of having me in the team like I'm happy I'm positive I'm hardworking. I can then I can also write and speak and do all these other things you know and then that's my pitch. I'm the total package. Yeah. That's the dream. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, you're so right. And I love that you have her do a pitch. It just goes so well with the first episode of this season that we did, this kid, Nick. Yeah. He doesn't know how to pitch himself. He needs help pulling out, formulating, this is my unique value. And how do I communicate my value? 
Yeah. And so like we did that on the show and went through that whole process. And yeah, you're going to get rejected. You're going to get people who won't email you back or accept your LinkedIn request or whatever. Like, it just, it, you, you, that's, that's just the reality of what, what happens. Yeah. And it's a numbers game at that point, right? <laughs> Definitely it's like a numbers game. Pound the ground, the more doors you knock on, eventually one opens, right? The easy thing to do is be like, oh, I'm not good enough. Yeah. It takes some time. You have to like think about it. But that, taking the time to think about it and formulate your pitch, right, that goes a lot farther than just hitting apply on a hundred LinkedIn applications. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's the point of just, you get rejected, you get everything, everything, nothing will go your way. I think the best thing, like the best advice that I tell myself, or I I don't know where I heard it from, but I'm just living it by like a mantra now. It's like, no one owes you anything. No one, like, there's nobody that owes me. So just because I've lost my job, there's nobody that owes me a connection to someone. So when I ask people for a connection or an introduction, if they don't come through, like, it's easy to be like, Geez, you know, he didn't, he didn't put me in touch. That's really annoying. It's just like, well, he's probably, he's got a lot of things that he's working on or he's dealing with. Like, he doesn't owe me anything. If he comes through, awesome. If he doesn't, doesn't matter. Like, that's just the way it goes. If you don't get a job, they don't owe you anything. If they fire you from a job, they don't really owe you anything. No one owes you, anybody anything. Like, and as soon as you get your head around that and you just figure out that you've got to make your way and you've got to figure it out, then you're far better off and you kind of move, you, you move the emotion out of it and you just get on with it. Because the alternative is if you approach it and you go, well, I could be, feel sorry for myself and be really down and, 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 you know, moping because I've been looking for six to 12 months for looking for a new job and it's not working. Help me, I'm poor. Exactly. And it's just like, well then stop. And then you tell someone to stop looking at, well, no, I really want to find something. Well then keep finding, like keep looking for it. Like if you can't stop and you don't want to stop because the stopping is just not an option in this day and age, like then you need to keep going and you need to keep going and like attack it with some positivity instead. Like it annoys me so much. I'm just like, just you're not going to stop, are you? Like, if, you, if you're going to stop, then stop. And then you can complain for the rest of your life. But you're not going to be able to afford food. So you better you better get back to work. Right. Wow. Yeah. That was really good. What's next for you? Like, you got that interview. I had an interview yesterday. I had a few interviews the week before on the phone that went really well. Um, I'll just keep touching up my resume, doing more work on the side. I'm working, I'm writing for some people. Um free of charge just in case the government says um and just you know like it's, it's a numbers game it's going to keep going until something drops and if when something drops i'll jump on it and hopefully it's there's something that i want yeah awesome well maybe we'll check back with you in a couple weeks let's do it let's do it thanks for coming on the show thanks for having me